Good morning, Wooddale Church. I, I love that bumper video. I can't watch it enough. It's so much fun. Uh, hey, a special welcome to all of you who are joining us online as well. And the reason for that fun bumper video is uh, we are wrapping up our series called Crazy Makers. And the last two weeks, we've been talking about how we can deal with difficult people in our lives. And it's a series that I'm personally really grateful for because each and every one of us has a difficult kind of a crazy-making person that's in our life. And so all of us can relate, you know, whether it's somebody that we work with, maybe it's somebody that we live with, it's somebody that we're in relationship with, it may even be somebody that we are related to, but we all have these difficult people in our lives, and we're learning how we can best deal with those folks. Now, last weekend, Pastor Brad picked us off in the message, and he gave us, or the series, and he gave us a message where we had a really challenging uh, ap application for this. We had to, and the challenge was for us to pray for those difficult people in our lives. But Brad cautioned us. He said, when you pray for those difficult people, don't pray that God would change them. That's often what our tendency is. And don't pray that God would remove them from our lives. And the reason for that is because difficult people can be found everywhere. In fact, some of us have done some pretty drastic things to try to get away from difficult people. Some of us have moved jobs. Some of us have moved out of homes. Some of us have gotten out of relationships. You may have even moved to a different state to try to get away from a difficult person, only to find that in the new school, in the new relationship, and in the new state, there are difficult people there too. And so we said that instead of praying that God would change them or that God would remove them from our lives, instead, we should be praying that God would reveal to us why that difficult person is in our life and that by praying for that person, it changes our perspective on them. Then Brad also gave us a challenge, and I hope you've been doing it this past week, that we should pray every single day for that difficult person in our lives. Now, if you haven't done that, or if you missed last weekend's message, you can catch up online at wooddale.org, and I hope you'll do so because uh, our message today is going to build on that application that Brad gave to us. So Brad gave us the first thing is to pray, and the second thing that we're going to talk about today is how we need to be wise when it comes to dealing with those difficult people in our lives. So that's the two things that we need to do with these crazy makers in our life. Now here's the challenge with this second message. When it comes to being wise with difficult people, we actually don't believe that to be true. Now, sure, it sounds good. I mean, we're in church and, you know, wisdom. Yep, that sounds like a good thing. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't think that we're the ones that need to be wise. After all, it's the difficult person that's acting in a certain way. It, it's because of their foolishness that they're a difficult person. It, it's, it's actually them who need to grow in wisdom, not in us. Right? That, that's kind of the posture that we take. If our roommate could just learn how to pay rent on time, you know, it's the first of the month, every month, right? Like then this whole living arrangement would be better. Or if that girl in school could just stop gossiping about so many people, there'd be so much less drama in our school day. Or if our kids, if our kids would just listen to us, they'd follow our advice, our family would be better. Or if that coworker in the office could just learn a little bit of time management the working condition for the rest of the team would improve. If they would grow in wisdom, the relationship would get better. That, that's often our thinking or our posture. But the challenge with that is that at times we can be so focused on the lack of wisdom in somebody else 
that we fail to even check or look at ourselves. Several years ago, I was out east for a week and was flying back home on a Thursday afternoon, and it was just one of those really difficult travel days. It was raining in Boston, and all of the flights were delayed. You walk into the airport, it was like everybody was grumpy. It was just, it was just an unpleasant place to be. And uh, we're just waiting and waiting for a flight to board, waiting for a flight to board. Finally, we, they let us on, on the aircraft. And uh, I get on and I sit down in my seat. I take my phone out. I was just checking up on some emails while the rest of the passengers were coming on board. And I noticed that the passengers at one point stopped coming down the aisle. And, and so I looked up and there is a very distraught woman who was engaged in an animated conversation with the flight attendant. And she is letting him know that somebody is in her seat. And, and this was instantly annoying to all of us because it's like, just find your seat, everybody get in the right seat, we're already running late, just come on, get on board, but she's not letting it go. And so she keeps kind of leaning into the, the flight attendant about this and he's annoyed and so he kind of half-heartedly turns to the rest of us and says, hey everybody check your boarding pass, make sure you're in the right seat which of course none of us do, right? Because it's not hard to find a seat on an aircraft. You just match up letters and numbers, right? Well, the line is now growing out of the plane and down the jet bridge, and you can just feel the tension in the airplane start to rise. And she is so dead set on getting her seat that she then starts digging in her purse. She's gonna find that boarding pass, and she finally locates it, and she presents it to the flight attendant who takes a look at the boarding pass, and then he walks right over to me. Turns out row 17 is actually one more behind row 16. <laughs> I was in the wrong seat. You know, oftentimes in life, we can be so focused on that person that is getting in our way, that's slowing us down, that is frustrating us, that we fail to check ourselves. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have an opportunity to check ourselves when it comes to how we are dealing with these difficult people in our lives. And when we check ourselves, we don't do that by comparing ourselves to other people. And we don't do that even by comparing ourselves to our own set of standards. Whenever we need to check ourselves, we need to do that against God's word. And so we're gonna look at his instruction for our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on or open them up to the book of James. We're gonna be in James chapter three this morning. And as you're turning there, let me kind of set the stage for you. James is writing to Christians, uh, new Christians in the early church, and many of these Christians are scattered around the nations. And James writes to them letters of instruction and encouragement. And his letter reads a lot like a New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. It's very practical, it's very clear, and the instruction is really concise. And so in James chapter three, James starts getting into the topic of relationships. And so we're gonna pick it up, starting in verse 13. James writes this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let's actually stop right there. That's a great question, isn't it? Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's wise? Who is wise among us? When you think about a wise person, who comes to mind? Who is wise? What do they look like? What do they sound like? What do they do? How do they engage in relationships with other people? Who is wise? I'm not sure who comes to your mind, but when I think about that question, who is wise, 
literally the first image that comes to my mind is this. The wise old owl. Yes, that is who is wise. Nobody? Nothing? No other service did either. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, uh, this image about the wise old owl, though, is such a great image of how our culture thinks about wisdom. Right? I mean, look at this with me. Uh, the owl has the graduate cap, kind of signifying education, academic knowledge, right? Lots of information that this person has acquired. Uh, the owl has glasses. I don't know, people with glasses look smarter, right? Or I don't know, maybe the glasses represent that they can perceive something that the rest of us just aren't able to perceive. And look at the posture of the owl. The, the owl is perched up high, right? It's kind of overlooking the rest of us. And, and it's from that high place that it is considering and wrestling with the important transcendental questions of life. Things like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Three, right? Three. But here's, here's the problem with that image and how our culture thinks about wisdom. See, when, when we look at this, this image of wisdom is not at all like the image of wisdom that God gives to us. When God describes wisdom, he doesn't describe wisdom as how much we know. He doesn't describe it as how well we've done in school. He doesn't describe it as, as how many degrees we've earned. Wisdom isn't described at how well you think or how deeply you can think. Wisdom isn't even described about how old you are. God describes wisdom in an entirely different way, and James describes it for us at the end of verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it not by how well they think, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. So James is saying that wisdom isn't about knowing, wisdom is about doing. Wisdom isn't about knowledge, it's about the application of knowledge, that wisdom produces something. And specifically, James tells us that wisdom produces for us a good life. Now we could also translate that to read a beautiful life, because that's what wisdom does. It creates beauty in our lives. Think about the wise people that you know, maybe who came to mind. Right? They have a beautiful life. And as we're about ready to see, that beautiful life is in a large part because of how they handle relationships in their lives. But there's a tension. And the tension comes in verse 14 because not all of us approach relationships in a way that truly is wise. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So here, James describes for us two different types of wisdom. The first type of wisdom he describes is worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom really centers on this question, how do I get ahead? What's in it for me? How can I benefit or gain from this relationship? And that stems from that sense of envy or jealousy that's at the root of this type of wisdom, or another word, that James uses, which is an interesting choice. He says selfish ambition. And the reason that that's such an interesting word choice is in the original Greek, the letter that this would have been, the original language that this would have been written in, that word selfish ambition was actually just one word. 
And it was a rarely used word. In fact, most Greek authors at that time didn't use the word, except for one many years before, by the name of Aristotle. And Aristotle used that word that we now translate selfish ambition in describing something that was very concerning to him as it related to government organizations. And that was party politics. Now, we're not even gonna touch politics in this series. But what do most politicians do? They build constituencies. They make and they take sides on issues and they lobby people to come to their side and against the other side. And when I understood that and I read that about that word in the context of the letter that James is writing, it was so deeply convicting for me. Because isn't that what we do with these difficult people in our lives? we build constituencies against them. Now, now we don't do it in the same elaborate way that a politician might do it. We don't have a big marketing campaign or we don't publish a whole series of uh, of do's and don'ts or how we're gonna approach certain things and, and it's not nearly that formal. But we do it. We just do it in more subtle ways. It's the way in which we tell a story or we tell part of a story or we tell part of a story from our perspective. And isn't it interesting that whenever we tell that story about that difficult person in our life, we're either the victim of that story or the hero, but rarely are we the villain. And we dress it up in other ways. You know, we say, ah, I'm just venting. I just need to vent. Or we'll say, well, I'm just trying to help you. You know, I, I, I want to let you know about this person so you won't have the same issue as me. Or I'm just telling you to give you a heads up so you're prepared for it. Or sometimes... Sometimes we'll even say, listen, I'm just telling you so that you can pray for that person. Call it what you will. It's constituency building. It's asking people to take sides. And it's harmful. And James tells us why it's so harmful in verse 16. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And that idea of disorder is not what God desires for our relationships. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. And that's what God desires for our relationships. He desires us to live in peace with people and to have peace-filled relationships. And so whenever we see disorder in a relationship, it means that that order, that disorder is not from God, but it's from us. So If disorder and this type of behavior and this type of wisdom doesn't come from God, where does it come from? Where does that sense of worldly wisdom originate from? Well, James gives us a clue in verse 15 when he says that this type of wisdom is unspiritual, that we could also translate that to mean that it's sensual, meaning it's based on our senses or it's how we feel about something. And that's the danger of these difficult people. We call them crazy makers for a reason. They make us feel like we're going crazy. They frustrate us. They disappoint us. They discourage us. They make us upset. They make us feel a certain way. And when we give in to those feelings and we respond based on our feelings, it eventually will lead to disorder and chaos and James says every evil practice. So there's a better way for us to respond to those difficult people. There's a different type of wisdom that we can lean into. 
And James tells us what that second type of wisdom is in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and it's sincere. And so here James describes for us a second type of wisdom, and that second type of wisdom is heavenly wisdom. And that asks the question, not how do I get ahead, but it asks the question, how do we get together? Because that's what heavenly wisdom is. It's about bringing peace and harmony to those relationships. Now, there's a caution I have to give you about verse 17. See, verse 17, James lists for us eight different attributes of heavenly wisdom in relationships. He says that it's pure, that it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And we can read that through our Western lens, and we think that somehow that's the eight steps to having a wise relationship. Or that somehow that this is a to-do list for us to try to insert wisdom into our relationships. And that's not what James is saying here. Right? What James gives to us are not steps, but they're symptoms. Just like in the same way, if you have a fever and a runny nose and you're coughing, you probably have a cold. But increasing your body temperature and forcing yourself to cough won't give you a cold. Right? Symptoms don't give us the condition, they tell us the condition is present. The same is true here. When those eight different attributes are present, it means that we've been engaging in a heavenly type of wisdom in that relationship. And when they're absent, it means that we haven't. But just doing those things won't give to us wisdom. So how do we get it? How do we have that type of heavenly wisdom? Well, before we can answer that, we need to understand what is James even talking about with this type of wisdom? What is this type of wisdom? And we already have seen that this type of wisdom isn't about thinking or knowing, it's about doing. Well, so what does wisdom do? Well, what wisdom does is that wisdom knows how to bring order to relationships. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom is about the ability to put order to relationships. I mean, think about the wise people that you know. Isn't that what they do? They know how to bring order to a relationship to promote peace and to avoid chaos. That's what wise people do. A few months ago, my family and I were on an airplane. We were flying out to the West Coast for a little trip. Our whole family was there, my wife and I, and then uh, our two young kids. Uh, they were actually sitting on either side of me. My son is seven and my daughter is four. And about halfway through the flight, the kids were getting a little squirrely. And if you're a parent, you know that moment, right? It's the moment that we may lose them. And once we lose them, there's no going back, right? And so we're doing everything we can to try to keep them engaged and keep them occupied. And the Sky Mall magazine is not cutting it. <laughs> and it was at that critical moment, the moment where I, I think we've lost the kids, that my wife opens up her backpack and she starts pulling out the perfect thing at the perfect time. It was incredible. It's like, out come the snacks, and then out come the games, and then out came the coloring books. She even had stuff for the kids. <laughs> awesome. Why did she do that? Because she's a wise woman, and she knows how to bring order to the relationships with our kids in a way that promotes peace and avoids chaos. And not just chaos for us, but chaos for everybody that was sitting near us. That's what wisdom does. 
Wisdom brings order to relationships. Let me give you another example. Over here is a keyboard. And uh, a keyboard is an instrument, and it is a digital representation of a piano. And on the piano or on the keyboard, there are a series of white keys and black keys. And the white keys each play a different note that's located on the C major scale. And those notes are all an equal distance from one another, right? So each note, it's almost like a mathematical life, like equation in terms of how they're one step away from each other on this scale. And then these black keys are these accidental keys. And they're a half note or a half step up on that scale. And what's great about uh, a keyboard is that the accidentals are grouped in groups of three or groups of two. And that's important because when you're trying to locate a C note or the C key, it's always just to the left of the group of two accidental keys. Now, when you're learning to play the piano or the keyboard, there's a very important note that you should learn, and it's middle C. And so it's the C note located kind of right next to these two accidentals, right in the middle of the keyboard. And there's your middle C note. That's an important note because as a piano player, you want to orient yourself to all the other notes based on middle C. Now, I happen to know where middle C is because somebody marked it for me before the service. <laughs> and then here's our scale. And that's your new octave. And then you can go back down. And there's your C scale. And what's great about the C major is that, or the C scale, is that you can then combine different notes. If you put the right order to them and you have the proper relational spacing, you can put three notes or a triad together to make a chord. And it sounds peaceful and pleasing. But here's the thing about playing the keys. If you get off and out of order ever so slightly, what gets produced sounds terrible and awful. And if you're not careful about what order you're putting to those keys, you can make something that just sounds dreadful. But by taking the time to put the proper order to those relationships, you can restore something that sounds much more peaceful. And you can even do it with those pesky accidental keys. Wisdom's kind of like that in our relationships. Wisdom teaches us how we can take steps to promote peace and to bring order to those relationships. And so we need to be listening to the sound of the relationships in our lives. Do they sound peace-filled? Do they sound harmonious? Or do they sound full of discord and disdain? We need to be listening to those sounds because we need to be taking steps to promote peace and to put order back in that relationship. And so when it comes to dealing with that difficult person in our life, there's a very simple, very practical, but yet very challenging question that we need to ask ourselves every time we deal with that difficult person. Here's that question. The question we need to ask ourselves is, will this promote peace in the relationship? So before you respond to that email, will this promote peace in the relationship? But before you respond to that text message, will this promote peace in the relationship? Before you say back to them what you're really thinking or feeling, will this promote peace in the relationship? We should even ask that question when we're talking about that person, even if they're not present, even if it's to help promote peace in our own heart toward that other person. 
James says it this way, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom promotes peace in relationships so that we can reap a harvest of righteousness or right living with God. So that's what wisdom is. So where do we get it? And where can we find this type of wisdom? Well, James tells us directly where we can find this type of wisdom. And you need to uh, flip just two chapters back in your Bible to see where. So go back to James chapter one and verse five. James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When we wanna get wisdom, we ask God for it, and he will give to us wisdom. Now, some of you may be saying, but Kyle, wait, wait a minute, don't we get wisdom through our experiences? Well, we have already seen that we have to be careful when it comes to our own feeling or our own senses in terms of dealing with other people, because often that will lead us to disorder and all sorts of chaos in our lives. And so really experience alone won't necessarily make us wiser. Experience alone simply just makes us older. But what we need to focus in on is where wisdom comes from, not from ourselves, but it comes from God, which is why we ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to us because that's the nature of wisdom. Wisdom's described for us in much more detail in a book in the Old Testament called the book of Proverbs. It was written in large part by a man named Solomon or King Solomon who was exceedingly wise. And Solomon was wise because he asked God for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. God actually came to Solomon in a dream and said, Solomon, I will give to you whatever you ask. What is it you want me to do for you? Can you imagine how you would respond? What would you ask God for if he said, whatever you ask? Well, Solomon did not ask for money. He didn't ask for victory over his enemies. He didn't ask for a long life. He didn't even ask for a full head of hair. But what Solomon asked for was he asked for wisdom. Is that what you would have asked for? Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. And then he took that wisdom and he recorded it for us in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon setting up Proverbs, kind of explaining to us what wisdom is all about and the nature of wisdom, opens Proverbs with this statement. In Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that word fear doesn't mean trembling and it doesn't mean frightened, it means honor and respect. So Solomon is telling us that when we have honor and respect for God, that's where knowledge begins. Because wisdom is all about putting relationships in the proper order. And we need to understand how we are to relate with God and what the order between us and God should be. And so when we understand who God is and who we are in response to who he is, that then allows us to have wisdom in all the other aspects of our lives. In a sense, our relationship with God becomes like middle C on the keyboard. And if we get that one right, it allows us to orient ourselves relationally to all the other notes in our lives, but if we're off even so slightly on that note, everything else will sound out of tune and full of discord. So we wanna give you an opportunity for all of us to grow in wisdom. Here's how we're gonna do that. 
When you walked in this morning, you received in your service handout a bookmark. It's actually a reading guide, and it lists out the 31 chapters that are found in the book of Proverbs. Now, tomorrow, the month of May starts, and there happen to be 31 days in the month of May. And so our challenge for you is to read a chapter of Proverbs every day in the month of May to grow in wisdom. And I want to add on to what Pastor Brad uh, began for us last weekend. So we want to encourage you every day during the month of May to continue to pray for that difficult, crazy-making person in your life, and then to read a chapter of Proverbs, and to ask God to give you the wisdom to know how to take steps to promote peace in that relationship. And we believe that God is gonna answer that prayer and that God is going to provide wisdom for you to know how to take steps to promote peace. And when that happens, we here at the church would love to know about it. So we set up an email address. It's called crazy.maker at wooddale.org. And if you email those stories in, we would love to hear them and celebrate them with you throughout the month of May and even throughout the summer. So crazy.maker at wooddale.org and let us know those stories of peace being restored to those relationships. Let me ask you one final question and then we're done. Who was the wisest person to ever walk the earth? Actually, it wasn't Solomon, even though he wrote the book on wisdom. The wisest person ever to walk this earth was Jesus. And that's not a Sunday school answer, and that's not a because we're in church answer. The reason that Jesus was the wisest person to ever walk this earth was because he was the only one that was able to bring back order to our relationship with God. See, we had been living life our own way, following our own worldly wisdom, and it caused disorder. Not just disorder between us, but it caused disorder between us and God. And so when Jesus came, what he did for us on the cross is he was able to reconcile the law of God with the love of God. And when those things came into harmony, it allowed us to now experience a peace-filled relationship with God. And when we start with that relationship, and that one is in order, not only do we experience peace from God, we're able to extend the peace of God to others in our life, even those crazy-making people. And so in a sense, when that happens, it's actually not us who are dealing with those difficult people. It's actually Christ, the wisdom of God, through us that deals with them. And that truly is the only way to bring lasting peace to our relationships. Let me pray for us. Father God, we're grateful for the letter that James wrote, Lord, inspired through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, those words are clear and they're simple and Lord, yet they are so challenging for us to put into practice. And so God, I pray that you would Fulfill your promise, Lord, that you would give to us the wisdom that you say that you will if we ask for it. And Lord, I pray that as we grow in wisdom, Lord, that we would be able to take steps in dealing with those difficult people in our lives. And Lord, those steps would be steps that would promote peace. And Lord, I pray that as that happens, that it wouldn't be us that that difficult person experiences. 
But Lord, through your Holy Spirit, it would be you, Jesus, that they experience through us. And because of that, Lord, we pray that that difficult person would know and would experience the very love that comes from you, our God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.